Welcome to On Conscious. This is Episode 7, The Pink Bits, Talking Boobies with Dale Larder, founder of Noonie Wellness. Welcome to On Conscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. In today's episode, we're talking to boob expert Dale Larder about breast wellness, pink washing, and how to love your boobs in a totally non-sexual way. Yep, it is possible. Did you know that in Australia, one in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, and one in 675 males, by the way? After testing positive for an abnormal BRCA2 gene, predisposing her to a very high lifetime risk of breast and ovarian cancers, Dale chose to have a risk reduction double mastectomy, aged just 32, and soon after created Noonie to help, in her words, make breast wellness a thing. It's an interesting thing to be told that you have a gene mutation and a drastically increased risk of contracting the disease, but you don't have it yet, so it's like you're just preparing for it almost. So I was going to all of the doctors, all of the integrative doctors, naturopaths, Eastern and Western approaches, and then doing a fair share of Googling as well. And definitely what I did realize was that no one's talking about the things that we can do to keep our boobs healthy, or at least stay in touch with our boobs. And there is so much evidence and research to suggest that we can do many things. Welcome, Dale. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for inviting me to share some words with you and your lovely community today. Absolutely. My pleasure to have you on. I so love your vision about making breast wellness a thing and about helping women get handsy with their boobs. Talk to me more about this and about your story and the evolution of Noonie. Oh, thank you, Liz. Yeah, it's definitely a... um a niche market, I suppose, and a a new topic for many women to consider that breast wellness can in fact be a thing. Um, And yeah, I mean, it came about, as you just mentioned, um, it was about 10 years ago when I found out that I carry the BRCA2 gene mutation. And as you touched on, it's not so comfortingly referred to as the breast cancer gene. Mm. And with it um, comes an up to 80% chance of developing the disease in my lifetime, as well as an increased risk of ovarian cancer as well. So I guess the seed for Noonie was planted those years ago as I sort of started to navigate all of the opinions. Um, I was madly kind of gathering and researching in terms of, of what we can do to keep our boobs healthy. And what dawned on me was that women just aren't being encouraged to check in with their breasts in a loving, self-care-focused way. So even though our boobs are physically front and centre, they tend to get neglected and tucked into a bra and forgotten about. So a few years ago after the birth of my second bub, I decided to yeah, undergo a risk reduction double mastectomy and immediate uh, reconstruction. And I think it was about two years later that I launched Noonie in an effort to change the relationship girls have with their girls. Ultimately, I realised that while I don't have my boobs anymore, I want to help other women keep theirs happy and healthy. And when you were going through the whole process and after you were had the initial diagnosis and, you know, we're going through the whole, the whole phase of deciding what to do and what would your future be like, 
Was there much help for you at that stage trying to be proactive with your own breast health and your own wellness as it relates to both the BRCA2 gene but also just to breast wellness generally? Um, For me personally, it was a really overwhelming time. Um, It's an interesting thing to be told that you have a gene mutation and a drastically increased risk of contracting the disease but you don't have it yet so it's like you're just preparing for it almost and there is such a mixed stance on what someone with a gene fault can do to help prevent it in the first place so I was going to all of the doctors all of the integrative doctors naturopaths um, eastern and western approaches and then doing the fair share of Googling as well. And that was probably the worst thing to do because I kind of stumbled on articles that suggested that people with genetic faults such as mine perhaps should reconsider getting married or having children and and, (laughs) suggesting that life insurance isn't available to me because I'm too much of a liability. And and that was kind of a daunting realisation. But definitely what I did realise was that no one's talking about the things that we can do to keep our boobs healthy or at least stay in touch with our boobs. Um, and there is so much evidence and research to suggest that we can do many things in terms of diet and lifestyle and physical touch to help um, promote that breast wellness. That's amazing that you were able to um, put something proactive together after your experience so that the next women or women who are sort of you know lined up after you to have the same procedure or confronted with the same experience have a place to go and um, you know somewhere to discuss it but also as you say to teach their daughters how to be proactive about breast wellness what was it like to actually be confronted with the decision to possibly have your breasts removed and also how quickly did you feel like you had to make that decision after it was presented to you I already knew that my grandmother had breast cancer at the age of 39 and I'd also been told by the experts that my risk increased kind of each year um, as I was kind of entering my 30s. So their advice was definitely have your babies, do the things, and then we need to remove these these, um, problematic bits of yours. So I guess I feel really blessed that I was given a heads up when I was quite young so I could ponder the options that were available to me um, and that was before I felt like too much of a ticking time bomb I guess. I felt like I had the luxury of time and taking the measures when I chose to. I got to choose the surgeons, I got to spend a week in a private hospital so my heart really goes out to the many women who are forced to make these decisions in a matter of days after a diagnosis and whereas I could just thoroughly research and and wait for it to feel right for me and that's, yeah, an absolute luxury. I guess for me it just felt right. I'd been undertaking six monthly screening measures including MRIs. I avoided mammograms where possible and so I'd go in for the screening the physical checkups and each time this sort of six monthly check rolled around I was filled with dread um Mm. especially after having my babies um I seem to at times manage to put the BRCA thing to the back of my mind but then when you're rocking up to the Peter McCallum Cancer Institute for your screening it's kind of 
a hard reality to ignore. So correct. It's hard, hard thing to put in the back of your mind. I imagine that it was just sitting there in the front all the time with every decision you had to make and every experience. Yeah, it really was for a long time, and it's uh, just a really strange scenario because it's, as I said, it's you know that it's a fault that you have and it could present at any time. But yeah. and there's also the chance that it may never, but you've just got to go with what feels right for you. So absolutely. It was too much of a risk to take for me to keep my breasts, um, especially once I'd had babies and realised that I really want to have a very long, healthy life. And I feel like also the, lo- the lowering of my stress levels has been mm. a saving grace since I mastectomy just because I don't think about it now and I don't worry about it each morning or each time I feel a little lump or feel a twinge, you know. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just decided that once I finished breastfeeding my second baby, I'd get it done. But I guess the thing is the, the women who are contracting cancer with a genetic fault is only one in 10. So the other 90% of women don't have any reason to believe that they're at risk which is what's really kind of stirred up my desire to help women become more in touch with their boobs. So it's not just, I feel like it's easy for women to go, oh, breast cancer is just for women who have the BRCA genes or for elderly women, and it's really not. Yeah, and research shows that 95% or up to 95% of all cancers are preventable uh, and the, the genetic link is only in about 3% of cases and, um, you know, that's all cancers generally. So obviously breast breast cancer may have a slightly different statistic, but that does make you think that there are proactive things that you can do. You don't just have to fall in line with, you know, the, num- the one in seven stat, for example. That That's a statistic that includes people who are at greater risk because our diet or lifestyle or, you know, self-care is not there, for example. I totally agree and I feel like we need to move away from that kind of um, it's like it's already laid out on the table, you know, one in seven. Which one of our friends or family is going to be that one in seven without actually looking into whether we are optimising our health and our well-being in order to prevent being one of those numbers in the first place? That's right. I was thinking the same thing yesterday after we had a chat. I was thinking one in seven. So if I have 200 Facebook friends, that means essentially 29 of my friends, if you're just mm-hmm. taking a you know a literal statistic, um, 29 of my friends would end up with breast cancer. And that is a ridiculously enormous number of women that, that we all know um, who end up with breast cancer. So it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to stay one in seven. We can absolutely make moves and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, about how we can all make some serious changes to um, prevent or you know, greatly significantly reduce our likelihood of getting cancer. Absolutely. As Western women, we tend to be far more concerned about the size and shape of our breasts and how our breasts relate to our sexuality and our partner than anything else. Do you think that the over-sexualization of the female body has hindered us from taking a proactive and a self-nurturing approach to breast health? 100% Liz, this is such a huge topic. I feel like boobs tend to either get stuck in the sexual or the clinical and from all of my dealings with women and their boobs and their stories, um, I've come to realise that the relationship we have with our 
breasts is is complex and it's consuming and it's deeply personal and perhaps more so than any other part of our body. I wonder if boobs are relegated to just a sexual destiny, that whether this is encouraging women not to value breastfeeding or perhaps even not to value their normal natural bodies um, yeah. just for them, not for anyone else. You know, I've, I've even heard from women that quote it quote grosses them out to think of a baby suckling on their boobs and I can only imagine that this is due to the over-sexualization to some extent that a woman would feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting and I know that you know, in other countries, if if we were to go for a massage, the, the breasts would be included in this massage. And I'm not talking about one of those massage parts. <laughs> no happy endings. <laughs> no, it's just that they're treated like any other part of the body. And, you yeah. know, they're covered in a, a muscle as well. So it's just not a sexualized thing. But Overall, I think for many women, there's a big stigma associated with even touching our own boobs or, heaven forbid, like lovingly massaging them as though we're some kind of perverted creeps for being in touch with our own boobs. Yeah, I heard once, you know, that the term, if we grow them, we should know them. And I just imagine how much of a positive impact this could have on breast cancer statistics, especially given that we know the earlier the detection, the better by far the outcome is. So if it wasn't such a, you know, a hard thing for women to overcome, then we'd be in a much better situation and it's not really asking that much. <laughs> no, absolutely. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the uproar and, you know, in the last couple of years especially, it's died down now, but uh, you would recall how much uproar there was about women breastfeeding in public recently, mm-hmm. which is astounding given that we're in 2020, that, you know, anybody would have trouble with women breastfeeding in public. But how some sections of society or some individuals have such problems with a woman feeding a baby and yet you could have your breasts out for sexual reasons. You could have all but your nipples showing when you go to a club mm-hmm. or go to the beach or whatever, and that's fine. But how dare we use them to actually serve a purpose that's not sexual? Exactly right. And as far as scientists can tell, breastfeeding is, I mean, I think I've read some research and they're still baffled as to why we have breasts constantly as women. We're the only mammal in the world that that does actually grow boobs during puberty and then maintain them whereas all the other primates and so on just only have breasts when they're actively breastfeeding so it Mm. I mean no one even knows why we have them but like you say the shame around breastfeeding in public or the early realization for us during puberty that we are somehow our self-worth is measured by the size or the shape of our boobs. It's, it starts at such a young age and then it's the constant narrative right through. Mm. And that adds layers and layers to the complexity around, okay, so here I am, here's my body, here's my boobs. That's all that we need to know, you know. Yeah, and, you know, I think different stages of life too can see you subconsciously shame yourself about your breasts you know it can be when you're breastfeeding you mentioned about hearing somebody say or hearing some women say they would never want to use their breasts to suckle a baby how gross you know there's Mm -hmm. we can give ourselves shame around that we can give ourselves shame when we 
lose our partner for one reason or another and some mm-hmm. somehow the breasts seem then superfluous to our being well you know almost I don't need them anymore so we either mm-hmm. become heavily focused on changing them or we ignore them we, we're not nurturing them as a part of who we are as um, as women you know the same that we would put moisturizer on our legs or mm-hmm. cuticle cream or whatever we use we're just not thinking about it that way so I love that you're changing the conversation around breast to be about breast wellness as part of the whole wellness conversation yeah thank you I just it is fascinating and I feel like we are getting very good at other areas of self-care and dental health and gut health and looking after different areas of our body but yeah now it's time to focus on on breast health and not in a clinical way just in a loving way I do feel like there are positive changes taking place for women and this way of thinking at the moment, though, and I can see a shift, especially on social media and the people I follow, from shame and disconnection to like an embracing of the idea that it's actually really okay to get out, to get to know ourselves on an intimate level and I feel like... Um, and that intimacy doesn't have to mean sexuality, right? Intimacy... You talk about your intimate partner, that doesn't just mean about sexuality. That's talking about somebody that you get to know why they exist and and the deeper meaning of them and all of that sort of thing. And I guess that's what you mean when you say getting to know your breasts intimately or your body intimately. Yeah, ourselves on an intimate level. Yeah. Wow, what a revelation that we're actually meant to know what we what we're like and what we enjoy and and to gain a greater understanding of things like our hormones and our cycles and fertility and and yeah pleasure also it's not no longer seems to be taboo to talk about pleasure and that's not pleasure that somebody else is providing us that's just becoming more aware of our ourselves and our feminine let's talk about the nuni range for a minute you have two products in your range the scar serum and the boob oil so you have one product that's a treatment for breast scars and the other one which is more of a preventative getting-to-know-yourself type of product. Firstly, what is the difference between using a product like Nuni Scar Serum and then the more commonly used chemist type, everybody knows what I mean, <laughs> won't mention any names, scar oil that everybody seems to recommend or use um, that you buy from the chemist. And then I'd love to know also about your approach to preventative and attentive breast care with the boob oil. No one else seems to be taking this sort of approach to breast health. Yeah, okay, definitely. Thank you. That It is a tight little range and, as you said, two products at the moment that we might expand on at some point. But for now, this is um, serving a purpose, definitely. The scar serum came about almost for selfish reasons, I suppose. I couldn't find a treatment or a serum that I was happy using on myself after the double mastectomy and ended up with two large kind of under boob scars that curve right under where my boobs sit. So yeah, I recognized a real need for a completely natural toxin-free scar treatment. It just seems so counterintuitive to use a product to inverted commas heal something when it's chock full of nasty ingredients, um, especially on an area such as our breasts. So our scar serum contains beautiful botanical and plant oils with 
potent healing properties. So what happens is that it helps to diminish the appearance of the scar and the and fade the discoloration that often comes with the scarring, as well as supporting skin renewal. So it's just a really all-encompassing healing oil, whereas the other alternatives on the market are largely just petroleum-based, I don't know, rubbish <laughs> with yep. <laughs> synthetic, synthetic colours even. Why it needs to have a, some of them need to have colours, I don't know, just to mm. make them look prettier, I suppose, and and obviously the synthetic fragrances. And, and I'm, I mean, one of the reasons that I love your perfume is that I'm really sensitive to synthetic scents and I know that each perfume or if something's labelled as a perfume or a fragrance, then that could actually be hundreds of chemicals combined together to make that one fragrance. And right. that was something I'd been trying to avoid for a long time. So I kind of realised that if I was after something natural, then there'd be other women looking for the same thing as well, uh, particularly those who are looking at undergoing explant surgery and removing implants. It's great for for any kind of breast surgery scars, breast lifts, reductions, that sort of thing. But it's also effective on scars from other cuts and injuries. Um, and at the moment I'm using it on my four-year-old boy's chin after he um, face-planted the island bench and ended up Aww. with some stitches. <laughs> so, every every like, mother's oh, worst oh. nightmare about island benches. <laughs> Don't <laughs> run this way. <laughs> uh, it's happening in slow motion. But, oh, yeah, so my gosh. A little, little uh, scar under there now that he knows we pop the scar serum on each day, and it, yeah, it does it does make a difference very quickly. And then yeah, as as you said, the boob oil is is our um, daily breast care elixir, so it's for all women. I uh, wanted to create something that kind of transports women away from that search and destroy mission that standard breast checks can feel like. So um, true. I never thought about it that way. That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Need to find that lump. And yeah, then, yeah, and it fills you with dread, so you don't want to do it. And I know even, you know, I was recommended that I needed to be really stringent with my self-checks while I still had boobs, and I avoided it at all costs because it's felt so sterile and clinical and it doesn't need to be like that. And I think the other point there is that because we do it so infrequently, we're not massaging our breasts every day, for example, we're certainly not taught that way as yes. yet until you come into the picture. But because we're doing that, we don't know really what we're feeling. So, it's, you know, we all have lumps in our breasts. But it's, is that a lump? Is that the lump? Is That's that right. is that normal? And, you know, you almost wait till next month to see if it's different as opposed to what you're promoting, which is a daily breast care so that you really do know the intimate details of every inch of your body. Totally. We just need to have a better understanding of the landscape of our boobs and how they fluctuate throughout our cycles. The benefit of checking your boobs once a month is that you it's a large enough space in between checks for you know some sort of lump to come and go that was hormonal without freaking out about it. Whereas if you're, obviously if you're focusing on that lump every single day, then it might concern you. So that's why it's kind of like a monthly self-check. But that needn't be the only time we touch our boobs. So I feel like, yeah, women are embracing 
the product and finding that regular breast ma- massage is becoming like an intrinsic part of their self-care routine and something that they're looking forward to doing, which is yeah. awesome rather than some scary thing that they kind of look in the mirror and go, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, almost like a going to the dentist thing, like, oh, my gosh, I guess I have to yeah. go. Yeah, I, I think that's quite revolutionary, actually. And just to be really particular with the details, after we chatted yesterday, and I took a different approach to the way that I'm caring for my body. And I have been using, um, not yours yet, because I haven't tried yours yet, but I have been using a breast care oil that I made myself seeing as I <laughs> know how to do bits and pieces. But I did it in a different way this time and I didn't feel like I had to stand in the mirror and size myself up and be very mechanical about it. I did it in a completely different way. And I think just having that one conversation with you in one day, thinking about how this conversation can change the women's, how women see their bodies and how we examine our bodies to look for things that shouldn't be there or whatever it is I think it completely changes the way we view the whole process quite extraordinary it's awesome Liz and that's so true the the word mechanical it is it is exactly that people feel like it needs to be some rigid thing and they go through a series of steps and if they're not exactly sure what those steps should look like then they're like oh I, I don't know how to do it and I hear that Every week, I swear, women saying, oh, I would, but I just don't know how to do it in terms of massaging or checking in with their boobs. And I, I would still say the same thing. I'm going to be 44 very soon and I still don't, quote, know how to do it. I still don't quite understand what it means and what I'm looking for. So for some reason, the message is not getting through to us as women. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we send out a little Noonie self-massage guide with every bottle of boob oil and I'm planning to just have that as a downloadable on the website as well. But the first thing I say in that is that there's no right or wrong way to touch your boobs, but this is the Noonie way and within those steps is just making sure that we're maximising the lymphatic drainage by using certain hand techniques and covering the whole kind of breast area from the, from the collarbone down. But apart from that, you don't have to go in a clockwise direction. You don't have to go this way or that. You know, as long as you're covering your entire breast area, then you're doing really well. And and if you are doing it on a more regular daily or every few daily kind of routine, then you're going to be just, your hands are just going to take over. You're not going to feel like you've got to follow a process. Yeah, that's right. And then it's not scary, is it? It totally demystifies the whole process. Yeah, exactly. It's just like if you were to give someone, if you were to rub ointment on your child or to give your loved one a shoulder rub or something, we we do it in a really loving, gentle way. We don't kind of think, okay, what's the first step? We can do that (laughs) with our boobs as well. Yeah, that's really true. One of the things I noticed from the reviews that your customers leave on your website and on social media and so on is they don't just say that they love the products, but they use words like meaningful and empowering. That must bring such joy to your heart, just knowing that the difficult choice that you made and then the subsequent development of Noonie as a business is empowering other women who are dealing with breast cancer and surgery and they're finding a way toward healing with Noonie as part of that journey. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Every time I hear feedback like that, it just touches me on a soul level (laughs) and Mm -hmm. kind of um, reconfirms that this is exactly where I need to be. Women are getting in touch to thank me for helping them reclaim their femininity I guess and yeah. and 
questioning why they've spent so many years feeling detached from their boobs. And yeah, others are in touch to say that they've had a far better breastfeeding experience and managed to avoid mastitis just because they're regularly massaging. And yeah, I I feel like, which something that I really relate to is, is when women get in touch to say that they've also undergone surgeries and perhaps avoided getting to know what their new normal is like. And I certainly, that resonates because when I first had my reconstruction, you know, I had implant-based reconstruction and they aren't my boobs. And for quite a while, they just felt like two little imposters strapped onto my chests. Um, And it wasn't until started incorporating them and and being really focused on spending time getting to know them and massaging them just like I would any other part of my body they can just be kind of popped into a bra or forgotten about so yeah I feel like women yeah women who have undergone these surgeries uh, feel like their new or different or altered breasts are a proper part of them it's really important because I think there's so many stages of a woman's life where our bodies suddenly change and sometimes that's changed through surgery like a breast surgery for one reason or another or it could be when we have a baby or it's when we suddenly develop breasts and hips out of the blue at you know 12 or 14 or however old we are when we go through puberty and I think we do for some reason and I, maybe it's just me but I think a lot of us still have this little narrative in the back of our head that says okay now I'm defective. And, and again, I'm 44 and I think I have a pretty good healthy self-esteem, but sometimes I find that conversation sitting there in the back of my mind and I have to call myself out, out on it, you know, that if you've had surgery or you have scars or your body's changed or you've now got this apron of skin after having a baby or whatever it is, you're not defective. Your body's changed, but it doesn't make you defective. And I think um, the conversation that you're having, and it's about boobs, but I think it's actually about our entire body as women and how we change and how that's actually fine and good and should be celebrated. Yeah, it is fine and totally normal. And we do hold such, we're so critical over every part of our body um, in terms of what that means to our self-worth and how that comes across to other people. And I mean, another aspect is for women who have had surgery like mine is navigating that if you're dating or seeing new people and and you know should it be something that you talk about beforehand to to give prior warning that's your boobs aren't going to look the same and um I feel like it's not until I for me I I stopped I accepted my new normal and I guess I didn't approach them with shame or feel like they required covering up or any kind of apology so yeah yeah I guess being comfortable in your own skin is easier said than done but I feel like the more we talk about these stories that we've been telling ourselves for years about the different parts of our body or or what they should look like or what they should be for somebody else I feel like the more mainstream we make it the better for all of us Let's just segue a little bit here and talk about something that you and I, I know, are both passionate about. Let's talk about pink washing. (laughs) I know this is a pet hate of yours and and a pet hate of mine. Um, And I think most of us understand what greenwashing is. We do hear that word bandied about quite a bit. And for anybody who doesn't know, greenwashing is essentially the labeling of products as, say, natural or organic or eco-friendly or sustainable or whatnot. 
just because maybe somebody waved a carrot over it or they've put a picture of a leaf on the front of the packaging. But if you can just explain to us what pink washing is all about. Okay, yeah, so definitely irks me even more so than greenwashing does because I feel like we're all kind of switching on a bit more about that, which is awesome and largely thanks to the help of women like you. Um, we're coming becoming a bit more conscious in that area, but I feel like an area that is sliding under the radar still for many of us um, is pinkwashing, and that's when a company or an organisation claims to care about breast cancer by promoting a, a pink ribbon product, but at the same time they could be producing or selling a product that might in fact be linked to the disease itself or at the very least contribute to poor health. I think that none of us would have to think too hard about what we see when October rolls around and some of it's really saddening to think that we're being encouraged to buy into breast cancer research or contribute in some way with our dollars to buy products that are going to be detrimental to our health and particularly even products that carry ingredients that are known carcinogens or known chemicals that contribute to breast cancer. It's such a paradox and it cheeses me off, quite frankly, that that we are, that there's no, you know, you can launch a pink a product that's linked to breast cancer fundraising or awareness or whatever it is, a pink ribbon product. And there, there, as far as I can understand, and I did some research on this yesterday, there is no protocol for what what's the function of the product, what's the ingredients or, or anything else aside from what kind of profit margin are you donating to the cause. There's no other stipulations. There's no other um, restrictions around what you can sell. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if you can't fill up a tank of petrol and donate to breast cancer. And yet, you know, we know what petrochemicals do to our health. That's exactly that's right. not and that's not um, saying anything against petrol. I mean, we all need petrol, but I mean, it's almost it could be anything. No, there are car companies that kind of jump on the bandwagon with this pink ribbon month, and yeah, I mean, it's it's almost laughable if it wasn't so horrifying. And you're right. The disturbing thing is also, to my knowledge, that you can slap a pink ribbon on any product in the name of awareness without there being any rules around it. And I feel like the really dangerous thing about this is that it, apart from it being clever marketing, um, on a subliminal level, I think consumers are believing that because a company has some sort of implied concern about breast cancer, then it suggests that they have a responsibility to protect their consumers from harm. So that's right. You know what I mean? Exactly they're right. implying that they've got your best interest at heart. And so you don't consider whether their ingredients in their products are harmful. So, you know, even though these companies are often, for example, cosmetic companies that they continue to sell cosmetics containing chemicals that have been linked directly to breast cancer. That's right. But we're thinking, oh, isn't that wonderful? They're, you know, they're a pink ribbon company. Yeah. Like that gives them some type of wellness expertise. Or like you say, I think we would automatically assume that those kind of companies have our best interests at heart. They must do because they're trying to raise awareness of certain health issues. But the interesting thing that came up for me when I was uh, researching this topic this week is that we're all aware of breast cancer I and mean, you probably can't even speak to a child under, you know, over five who doesn't know about breast cancer, hmm. but creating awareness of the problem 
doesn't mean we're actually taking any proactive approach to solving the problem. So, you know, that's the other part of pinkwashing is, okay, for example, we all know that there's social problems, you know, we all know that there's problems with crime or whatever it is, but it doesn't mean we're doing anything about it and we're certainly not taught to necessarily do anything about it. And I do feel like part of the pinkwashing, aside from the bit which really irks you and I both about, you know, the paradox of ingredients and so on that can be contributing to poor health, is also the fact that awareness doesn't actually move towards uh, change and yeah. that has to change. That completely has to change in, in the conversation. Oh, you've just articulated my thoughts and feelings so well. I wish I could say it that well. It's it's so true and I, I often wonder, like, how much awareness are women receiving during October? But what are we actually learning? Apart from everything, it's actually quite degrading to women who have been through cancer, I, I think as well, because not that I can speak personally, but I feel like it's so pretty and pink and breast cancer isn't like that. And yeah, it's a hard month for a lot of people who have been directly or indirectly impacted by breast cancer. And it's right there in our face, breast cancer awareness, breast cancer awareness. But what are we actually learning each year that this rolls around? Yeah, um, It's quite a fear inducing month, if, if nothing else. And, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it be reframed to something more positive, like Breast Health Month or, you know, do yeah. we call it breast cancer awareness as though it's something that's we're just waiting for? That's right. Do you feel that breast cancer has then become over-commercialised and then this raising awareness of breast cancer has perhaps lost its meaning for lots of people or at least, you know, from this conversation I'd say it's probably lost its way. Would you say that? I think it definitely has, and especially when you say, well, we've both touched on the fact that any company, any business, any product can have a pink ribbon slapped on it. And so it's it's just become so saturated that definitely the message is lost. Also, do we know where these funds are going? You know, are, are we zoning out with, with it all entirely? And perhaps we're uh, we're assuming that somebody else is taking responsibility for the problem because if we're donating to breast cancer research or buying a pink ribbon product, then perhaps we subconsciously, you know, without really putting much thought in, feel like, well, we're doing our bit. Yeah. That's not the bit that we're supposed to be doing. We need to be, as we've said a million times in this conversation, proactive in so many other ways. I feel like we think we've got it because somebody else is doing the work. Somebody else is surely working on that right now. Totally. Yeah. And and that's the really disheartening thing is that I feel like a lot of companies prey on the people who are wanting to do good and do their bit and contribute in some way to make sure that that research and cures and treatments are being worked on. And I think, I guess, if a side note to that is that rather than feeling like you've got to buy into these pink products or research every pink product you see to make sure that donations are going to, to be put to good use, I feel like there are some funds like the National Breast Cancer Fund, NBCF. It's non-government funded and I believe it uses its funds really efficiently to actually make a difference with research, prevention, cures, all of those things because the other big issue around any kind of awareness month, whether it be breast cancer or another, another issue, is that we don't know, like you say, how much is going to these research funds. I did actually Google it yesterday too, and I could not find a statistic 
I didn't continue down the rabbit hole, but I did a quick research for probably five or 10 minutes trying to find out exactly what percentage of funds or percentage of pink ribbon sales products goes to breast cancer research, and I couldn't find the data. No, it's an absolute rabbit hole, and I've done the same research myself, but I have come across some information that suggests that large multinational companies that are making millions of dollars for breast cancer are ending up only putting about 2% through to... Wow. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. We should all be upset about totally. that, actually. And that's the thing. It's it's so sad because we do want to feel like we're helping. And um, it's just, yeah, as I said, preying on, preying on that. Let's go back to this pink washing topic again. I did some research yesterday on the products that are now available that sport the pink ribbon in Australia. And it's hard to count how many products because, you know, it could be Tim Tams or Boston Buns or skincare products or whatever it is. There must be thousands, but I think there there are some of them that really concern me. Um, and I'll tell you why and I'll go through just a couple of them because I'd love to let everybody know the things that maybe we're not considering when we're buying these pink ribbon products. And there probably are some that are you know, really beneficial or neutral, but the ones that are really irking me are these. And you've alluded to this skincare made entirely from synthetic ingredients or with a high percentage of synthetics, many of which have strong links to cancer. Copy paper, so just office paper. Now, um, you and I probably come from this this side of the field where we know about dioxins. So dioxins have been linked to developmental issues and reproduction and immune system dysregulation, hormonal cancers, and they bioaccumulate. Now, it's just Okay, it's just copy paper, but when we're saying copy paper that raises money for breast cancer and dioxins have a definitive link to cancers, that's a real concern. Um, Spring water in plastic bottles. So plastic bottles, even if they are BPA-free, contain other types of bisphenols, phthalates and other toxic compounds as well, and that contributes to hormonal cancers, hormonal other issues, um, you know, brain health, obesity, depression and so on. Synthetic perfumes, everybody knows this is a pet topic of mine, so I won't go into all the details, but there's many ingredients in synthetic perfumes or any type of fragrance. So even if it's a candle that has pink ribbon, if it has synthetic fragrance, it's absolutely linked to hormone dysregulation. Um, And sunscreen, right? So ironically, sunscreen, which is supposed to prevent cancer, but contains things like oxybenzone and formaldehyde donors and mineral oil and nanoparticles and phthalates and things like that, which it doesn't take much for us all to do a quick search. And there's many websites now that are very reliable with this data. They have links to many endocrine issues. So so they're all contributing in some way yeah. to poor health. So it's a massive list. We're absorbing and, and it all. We're absorbing it all. We, no. Drink bottles in our skincare, our sunscreen, the perfumes. Like before we even leave our house of a morning, we've we've potentially absolutely doused ourselves in cancer-causing, you know, contributors. That's right. And it's one thing to say that it's something we need to be aware of and be attentive to and make some changes. The real travesty is when you're trying to raise money to support health and you're actually probably, on the other hand, um, decreasing health. And as you alluded to before, pink ribbons are supported by some of the world's most recognized brands with millions and millions of dollars going through their hands in order to raise money for breast cancer. And they do donate huge amounts to breast cancer as well, even if it is only 2%. 2% if it's $70 million, 2% is still a lot of money. 
But then when you're promoting a product that contains questionable ingredients or has strong links to disease states, including hormonal cancers like breast cancer, are we allowing companies to take with one hand and give with the other? And are we actually creating new health problems by taking a blinkered approach to wellness in this way? It's such a good point and it is so true and it's something I consider all the time and the most disturbing thing or the the reality is that we all do have to take it into our own hands because we can't rely on these companies having our best interest at heart. So yeah, we have to become more and more conscious and I feel like while most of us can think, oh, you know, do I really need to buy that Tim Tam just because it's in a pink packet or that burger that's wrapped in a pink, you know, tissue paper, I know that that's not good for my health. But as you've just pointed out, it is so much more convoluted than that. It's it's skincare, it's, it's water bottles, it's perfumes, it's candles, it's sunscreen that we feel like we're doing the right thing by applying. And in fact, it's full of chemicals that actually show up particularly in breast tumours. You know, we're, we're yeah. finding these exact chemicals in the tumours. So there is a link, you know. Absolutely. And I think these days you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who would try to provide evidence to prove otherwise because there's so much literature now that mm. expressly shows the links, you know, and there's definitive research now that shows the links between a lot of these um, ingredients or um, components and disease. Mm. So it's not something I think that needs to be proven anymore. It's something that we just need to take action on. Yeah, I think we just need to use our voices like collectively to say, you know what, these products don't cut it anymore and we're smarter yeah. than we used to be and you're going to have to adapt and provide us what we need without the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well said, Dale. <laughs> what are your thoughts about how we can reframe the conversation and, and bring meaning back to fundraising or awareness for breast cancer? Um, it's a really... Big question, Liz, because I feel like these things are so hard to change on a large scale, especially when it comes to, you know, how I said I have issues with the with the term breast cancer awareness month. But I just feel like we can all do our small part on a kind of more grassroots level to highlight and educate women about how to live our best lives and and what to consider, you know, it's more than just the food that we're consuming. Like I said, it's it's all of the other aspects of our lives. And I feel like the more conscious we are, the more we value our self-care, then it's our best defence, you know. I feel like prevention is a, a modern day way of caring for ourselves and we're all becoming a bit more switched on about prevention rather than waiting till we get sick and then and then fixing it. So, yeah, the more we educate each other and gain knowledge and practice self-care and nourish our bodies on the inside and the outside, then the greater peace of mind we can achieve for our own health and the health of our children and so forth. Well, let's finish up with this then. What are your top tips for every woman on how to start valuing and nurturing our breasts starting today? I think just in big, bold letters, touch your boobs. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I'm going to call this touch your boobs and interview with Dale Larder. <laughs> yeah, there are there are so many benefits to self breast massage. Obviously, it's what I'm all about. But 
it's just overwhelming, you know, the difference that it can make. And firstly, for wellness, regular breast massage stimulates lymphatic drainage. It promotes fresh blood flow into the area so that you're not, it's not stagnant and, and then prone to potentially not being 100% healthy just with any stagnation anywhere in your body. Um, it can also help improve the tone and texture of your boobs. It's helpful in reducing hormonal tenderness. And as I've said earlier, you know, it, it helps us reconnect with ourselves and our femininity. And breast massage is proven as a to be a powerful way to release oxytocin, the chemical that our body pumps up out to provide us with all of those lush feelings of love and bonding and affection. So, you know, why aren't we making the most of that? And then, yeah, self-awareness, ultimately, the more we cultivate this greater awareness of our breasts and nurture them, the less fearful we are of anything going wrong because we feel more intuitively connected to our bodies. And then obviously prevention. I mean, I try to keep things really light and positive, but as you mentioned, the truth is breast cancer is on the rise in Australia at one in seven women. And and while the mortality rate is dropping, it's occurring more often. And you'd have to suggest that that's because of what we are subjected to, like all of the things we've just spoken about, our environmental kind of stressors and our lifestyles. And I feel like I really want to point out that particularly for women under 40, we have dense breast tissue. So even though mammograms aren't kind of recommended until you're in your 50s, even if you were to go and have one at a younger age, they're not considered an effective screening measure anyway. So that means that hands-on self-awareness really is our best defense. And to give ourselves our boobs regular loving touch fosters a beautiful sense of, of connection. And so rather than feeling fearful, we can we can find peace of mind in this. So yeah, I guess my last kind of point would be to urge all the ladies out there to take a moment to get in touch with your girls and cultivate a self-care practice for them and learn how they fluctuate throughout the month massage them and look at them in the mirror and appreciate them lopsidedness nipple hair stretch marks and all you know just (laughs) just love, love on ourselves a little bit more yeah what an important conversation we've had today, Dale, and I really appreciate your vulnerability and what you're trying to achieve with Nooni and with your story. So thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I'm sure it won't be our last conversation. I hope not, Liz. I've loved, I've loved every minute of it, and I'm really honoured to be able to share my message with you and your community. Thank you. Unconscious is presented by One Seed. Find out more at oneseedperfumes.com. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends so we can all live a little more consciously.